Why does society have a fascination with crime? Do you sit at home on a Friday night and indulge in a marathon of blue bloods? Did you play cops and robbers when you were just a child? After years of epic dinner parties, long lunches and boozy brunches, we bring you Shaken and Stirred. Or rather, we are Shaken and Stirred. Cheers. This is Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker and I'm here with my co-host Tom Astor. And Shaken and Stirred, we talk about just about anything and everything. And sometimes it's mundane, sometimes it's serious. It's always kind of funny and we like it to be true. And there's something that was a big part of my life growing up as a kid, which was playing rugby. And I have a great guest today. I have the founder and owner of Rugby United New York, James Kennedy. James, welcome to Shaken and Stirred. Thanks. Thanks for having me here, Nigel. Excited to be here. So, I, Tom, you and I kind of played rugby together in as much as we didn't play rugby together on the same team because I was in a team higher than you, but you hated <laughs> playing rugby, did you not? I didn't enjoy it very much. Why not? I I'm, not a big, I'm not a big sportsman, let's say. Is sports for everyone? It was also James? incredibly cold and, no, and it hurt a it's, lot. It's not for it's not for everyone, but um, it helps most people that participate. And you don't have to be good. You don't have to be a big guy or you, you know. I was crap, but I played, and it um, kept me out of trouble. Literally kept me out of jail, I guess. So I, I was I was not I was not I can't say I was good. I was I don't think I was a particularly good sportsman, but it was interesting because I had tried almost every sport growing up as a kid, and wasn't particularly coordinated, wasn't very good at catching, wasn't very good at hitting. However, rugby came along, and I think they eyed me, and there I was, sort of six foot four, fourteen years old, you know, a big chap, and they just said, "Okay, you're playing rugby." And I started in the worst, lowest team we had. And before I knew it, within literally a month and a half, I was in the top team. And I think it was purely because if they got the ball into my hands and said, move forward, I could literally walk forward with about eight people <laughs> sort of around my waist and drag them along. I mean, but rugby is obviously more than that, right? Well, it is, yeah. I mean, rugby is, it's, it involves all people, all shapes, all sizes, all sexes, you know, it's equally played in, in the United States by men and women. Um, Is that just an American thing? I, I think it's true everywhere now. I mean, it's particularly popular in America. Uh, uh, for the female women's rugby is very popular over here. So, like half of the players, registered players in the U.S. are female. Um, I would never have thought that. Who yeah. I, who had no idea. So, tell me about. Obviously, talk, me, talk to me about Rugby United New York. What was the inspiration about you know, creating this team and how hard was it to actually, you know, do, to actually create the team and get the people to, to participate and find the players? Well, there was, there was a couple of parts to that. So it was Pro 12 reached out to me a year and a half ago about putting a team in New York. Um, that never happened. That's a whole other story. But I hired some people to do some research and the research was fucking amazing. I mean, the research said there's 352 rugby clubs in the area. 25,000 active players. Uh, 1.6 million Americans played rugby in 2017 alone, 2016 as well. So, and there's over 20,000 kids playing kids rugby. Where, so, where, where are they playing? Because they, they, they don't teach this stuff in high school, do they? Some high schools. Uh, Xavier, not far, just downtown from uh, this area. They do. But it's not popular. It's not a commonly, um, I guess, played sport at schools. It's becoming so, you're it's be saying. It's becoming so. It's the most popular sport in college. There's 900 college teams in the country. Oh. Um in schools, it's becoming popular. I mean, a lot of that is the fallout. You said the most popular school sport. 
at college more popular than American football? Oh, yeah, much, much more popular than American football. So what's happening? What does that mean to the state of rugby, and of sport, rather, in the, in the US? Uh, I mean, it just means that the inclusiveness and the, the, the ease of playing rugby, the lack of expense, the fact you just need to walk onto a field. We don't need all that kit and you don't need, you don't need, helmets you don't, you don't and pads. Need all, and... You don't need all that kit. You just need a bit of field someplace. Um, and it's the inclusion uh, is huge and it's talked about a lot you know I mean yeah it's it's so it's the most popular sport you're saying at college there are teams already here in the the New York area and probably obviously all over the country but it's not a a sport that people talk about that much it's still not one that's sort of really televised by the the American public by the big um, stations the NBC's ESPNs in a way that that I that I certainly sit hear about it and, and tune in myself. I yeah. don't tune in to to watch rugby, American rugby. Yeah, you created this. You know, you created this team. What was that like? What was the process? Who are the people that play for you now? It, it was so in the immediate area. There are fifty four senior men's clubs. So I had to unite those. Those are clubs. Many of them are almost hundred years old. So there's some bad blood. There's friction between the clubs. Um, so I had to unite those clubs. That was the hardest thing. And how did you do that? Um, I lied a lot, um, really. Um, I just just worked with them, all of them, uh, one by one. What does lied a lot mean? What, I what's didn't, the I process? Didn't, I didn't lie. It's just you, you, you just include them and, and, and say, convince them that you're well-meaning. You know, I love the I, fact he said he lied a lot and then immediately said he didn't lie. And yeah. now I'm not sure what hap- what's happening. Well, you Are know, we being lied to right now? You could be. You could be. I am, you know, I am a bullshitter. But uh, the... You just have to unite the clubs and... and by throw to, for whatever means, by whatever yeah, means. Yeah, con- convince that means, them you know. that, that the motivations are pure. You know, so the motivations are pretty pure. Um, and what kind of bad blood are we talking about? You know, if you're if you're playing for, say, the two big clubs in New York, are Old Blue and Nike, they've been smashing the shit out of each other for like 60 years. You know, um, and those games can get pretty frosty. Uh, so... You know the typical city derby. You know Rangers Celtic. The, the, the different sport, but the same kind of stuff, right? So, to convince those guys that hey, playing under the one flag for New York is the is the is the greater good. But is, is it is it is the friction? I mean, you said Rangers Celtic. That's that's very much sectarian. You it's know, not, that's a Catholic Protestant issue. It, up, 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 yeah, up it's in not. It's not. It's not religious. Sorry, so it's, it's probably not a, a bad example, but. It, but the rivalry is yeah. the same, but, but it's not... So not, once we got all these guys out to training, out to practices with the coaches, the players, as we suspected, and a lot of them have played together nationally for the Eagles, um, they get on great. Mm. So that, those barriers fell away almost instantly. So we had to prove that... Pardon me. We had to prove that the, the players could play together and that the city had an appetite. So last year, or in the spring of this year, we ran an exhibition game in the Bronx. We sold it out. Um... We, we smashed Boston by 50 points. Um, and Boston must have loved that. Yeah. That's a big margin. I mean, that's a, was that a very one-sided? It was very one-sided. one-sided and we, we played them again in Boston a few weeks later, and it was much closer. We beat them by 20 points. Right. Um, it was still entertaining. I mean, still entertaining. Yeah, oh, very entertaining. I mean, the, just it, the whitewash. it was like an old-school rugby game, probably when we were growing up. I mean, there was... The stands were full. People were smoking in the stands. You know, it was just... There was people from all over New York. So how does the American public react to, the, to rugby? I mean, have they... I mean, it, it, you know, you say it's popular sport now. How long has it been popular for? First of all, let's work that out. I think it, it really took off in the 70s. Um, 
socially in college, it, it, and in, in a bad way, it was the drinking sport. It was the anti-establishment sport. Which is probably why I quite like it now. Yeah. The drinking sport. It's, very, it's still a good bit of that. But, but also the establishment, I'd contact, it was an establishment sport originally back in England. I mean, it, it, it was, was a public school. It was like a, it was a private school game. Yeah, it was, and still very much is, right? And that's one of the problems that they're having in the UK and Ireland with it. There's, you know, there's not enough... Public. The gentleman's sport, they gentleman's used to call sport, it. Yeah. Which is kind of ironic. I remember being actually at school and I went to Bryanston and there was a time when we were told we weren't allowed to play soccer at all. It was actually, we'd actually get told off and punished for playing soccer and kicking a soccer ball around. You were allowed to play rugby, but you were not allowed to play soccer. <laughs> now, I'm sure that's changed, but that was the rule while I was at school. Yeah. Um, and it was just struck me as something that seemed ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so that, obviously that concept here is not the same. No, no. So it, it, Robbie's popularity in the 70s into the 80s he became a victim of its popularity because he became known as this sport that was played in college and people got drunk and drank from boots and, you know, row, rowdy uh, frat boy behaviour. And that, that... By all accounts, you can still become a Supreme Court judge. Apparently. So, apparently. you know... I don't know if he actually played rugby. He probably did. Well, he probably should have done. He probably should have done, Yeah. Probably like me, too wet. He looks like the sort of type who probably yeah. made an excuse to stay inside. Yeah, I'd say maybe he played water polo. Should look or into this, something like that. Yeah, I, I so it it had this growth, kind of flattened out for about twenty, thirty years, and then in the early two thousands it exploded. From two thousand and two to two thousand and five, it just exploded in this country. And I, I would theorise it's the guys that played in the seventies were retiring out of their jobs and were looking for something to do and started setting up rugby teams because. The 24, 25,000 people that play rugby in the tri-state area. I mean, USA Rugby has its challenges as the national body. So they've pretty much been organic, you know, one person at a time. There's no master strategy. There's no system. It's just a guy or a girl sets up a team in a high school or, or a club. So and it, it aligns, you know, it's 30-something years after that 70s explosion. So it aligns with those 70s players retiring. So... So they're there, they're playing, they're just, the coaching is awful, um, but the participation is off the charts. So, so, what, so let's think about, let's talk about the psyche behind it, because there, there is something to be said for the you know, American sports, and certainly American football, there's a lot of talk about head injuries, and of course American football players wear helmets and they wear pads, and then we have a sport like rugby, which is becoming the most popular sport out there, yet we wear no pads and no helmets. So how, does, how is that happening? How is one sport that's meant to be very dangerous, don't let your kids do it. You know, my, my wife is you know, saying to my son, no, you can't play American football because you're going to get a head injury. Yet he wants to play rugby and rugby is becoming this huge growing sport, but no one wears any pads. Yeah, well, we say on that, we ask that question a lot, we don't weaponize our players. You know, and, and you know, you don't weaponize the we player. We don't weaponize the players. So by wearing a helmet, you're sort of weaponizing you're them. You're absolutely weaponizing them. And, and we don't, as, as you know, I mean, my shoulders are fucked from playing rugby badly for 20 years. So, yeah, we do get injuries and we do have long-term injuries, muscle tears and so on, broken bones. But I've had maybe two concussions in my life, and one, one from rugby, and that was an accidental kick in the head, I guess. As, but, as happens. As happens. Um... But we we don't we don't weaponize them and you know you don't tackle with your head you, it's just insane it'd be stupid to tackle with your head um, you tackle with your shoulders and you wrap so and there's a duty of care there's a like someone asked me once a couple of years ago you know what's the beauty of rubbing and um, it was some 
weirdly with someone from the DOD talking about PTSD and how rugby helps soldiers recover from trauma and stuff like that. And I said, the beauty of rugby is that we've all been there at the bottom of the rooks in the mud. And we've had those fights, those epic battles, but we've, we constantly choose not to break other players' fingers or gouge their eyes. Or There's so many cheap shots we could do, but we never do. It doesn't even occur to us because we have, a, we have an inbent duty of care to our opposition. Even the ones that we legitimately hate, we, we don't, you know? So that's the beauty of rugby. There's a discipline spirit, and respect a spirit, and a spirit, yeah. a spirit there. So, and we found that if you give that to kids and in, in whatever socioeconomic situation, um, it gives them a sense of respect and humility that, that it's hard to find in other sports. So you think sort of similarly to a boxing ring in many respects, where boxing rings have been, you know, universally recognized as helping sort of children bring children off the streets and if they want to have a fight and want to have an argument put them in the ring let them sort of box it out and th there's this sort of idea that you know, boxing rings can be very good for a community actually yeah you know in the same way perhaps rugby can also be good for a community because it brings them together teaches them te team sports yeah. um we don't weaponize the players um they teach them to be smart actually about how they tackle yeah. each other but what kind of injuries can one have in rugby I mean, you talked about your shoulders and what have you, and I certainly know players who broke collarbones, and I broke a few bones myself, but that's also a part of just growing up too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's mostly soft tissue injuries that can be dealt with, and, you know, on a professional level, you, you know, you, put a, you invest in S&C, strength and conditioning, to prevent that. So, um, you know, ACLs, stuff like, I don't want to say normal, but they're pretty regular injuries that can be treated and can be prevented. You know? And what, what kind, who are the players? Who are your players, at, at, certainly at your team, at Rugby United New York? Well, well specifically, we've, we've focused, our recruitment strategy has been New York first, um, American players in New York, then American players in the United States as a whole, then American players overseas, um, and then overseas players that might be American eligible, and then overseas players. And it, we were focusing on building a team for New York by New Yorkers. So that's kind of different in itself. If you think about, for example, soccer, where you get a team like Chelsea, who might be made of Italian players. Uh, yeah. Whereas back in the day, they might have obviously been made of players from London and certainly from Chelsea. Um, do you see that also happening here in the long run? It, it, it could happen, but I think as we develop rugby in this community and, and we have a feeder system of, you know, um, a couple of hundred high schools. There's no reason why those elite athletes can't come from our community. And um, I, it's been found, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot researching this because I haven't done this before, you know, from, from Rassing and what Lauren Zeddy's doing there. Okay, he's known to be the big spender. He does spend a lot, but he spends an awful lot of money on academies and, and bringing in local talent. And that's, you know, his whole business plan is built on local talent. What Twiggy Forrest is doing at Western Force, he took over Western Force don't have a league they're playing in right now, but he took the local participation, the kids playing rugby from a few hundred to 6,000, um, building a fan base, building his feeder, fa feeder feeders, but also those kids go to games, those kids buy tickets, those kids buy jerseys, their parents go with them. It's where... Are they watching it on television as well? Actually, Western Force specifically uh, has the best attendance rate in the Southern Hemisphere, but well, whether they're watching it on television, I don't know, but they, their attendance is off the charts. Because you, I often wonder if, you, if a kid can watch a sport on television, does that help them enjoy the sport or get into it, you know, or, or does it not matter? Well, I, I, noticed, I noticed over here, um, 
I went down to Ohio in 2004 to play rugby for about a year. Um, and I noticed the kids, the kids, the guys down there and the girls knew more about what was happening in the Heineken Cup than I knew because the internet. You know, it's a misnomer that people don't have access to games. They have access to more games. Or you, have more, you see more rugby in America than you do in Ireland typically. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it's behind paywalls, which I completely disagree with, and that needs to be gotten rid of. And NBC is doing a pretty good job, although CBS is our broadcaster, so I should, you know, but... Tell it like it is. Yeah. I, lo- I love it. You know, it, it is what it is. And, and yeah. ultimately, you're right. I mean, it, you know, sports should be available for everyone to watch, and it is very yeah. hard. Um, it is very hard when you have to pay a, a large amount of money just to watch a game. And yeah. Certainly, I, I see it even when it, you know, it comes to basketball or baseball or any of these things when there's packages and the kids want to watch it and they, they, they can't afford it. It's yeah. really a shame. It, it is, and it doesn't make sense on an econ- economic level, I, I think. And Sports is the only thing that people will watch live now. Nobody rushes home to watch Dynasty or Dallas anymore, you know, because everything's recorded or, you know, we have access on demand. Sports, and now with sports gambling being legalized across the country, this live sports is the business. And it shouldn't matter did the model of, you know, the big cable package and you're paying 100 bucks a month. Although I'm sure, and I paid for the McGregor fight this previous weekend, I'm sure you guys probably did too, but the model of, of hiding it behind a paywall while is where it's saturation getting out there, understanding that this is the only thing people will watch live, so your in-game advertising, your, your jersey, your sponsorship, that's only you want to get out to as many eyes as possible and have as, ma- as much saturation as possible. So the McGregor fight you're talking about obviously ended in something of a riot. Yes. It, 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 you know, so many sports I find these days are becoming more and more of a spectacle. Yeah. And it's as if that's necessary, required to happen in order for them to, to get the ratings that they want or need. I, I there's truth, absolutely. Uh, we, we met, as part of my journey, I'm, I met, met everybody I could, including, including uh, Vince McMahon and, and his people up in Connecticut. And what they talked about was, you know, they did the research and they were like, oh my God, these guys don't wear helmets. And I was like, yeah, it's safety, this, that. And I said, we're not talking about safety, we're talking about identity. You can see the guys. So that means you can empathize with them. You can become associated with these players as opposed to the metronomes that play American football. They're just behind, they're hidden. So there is identity and we want to celebrate the individuals and we will celebrate the individuals, but you also want humility. In our sport, I know in other sports it's not there anymore. And the, 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 the ego and the narcissism wins out all the time. But uh, rugby players are, are mostly, pardon me, humble uh, creatures. Um, yeah, so that what I find, you asked earlier about Americans going to games. I, I take a lot of Americans to a lot of games to see how they react. And they're blown away by how much access you get to players, how they're just there in the crowd. But like also the crowd, a rugby crowd is completely different makeup and, and feel to say a football game or it is a really civil you know in England yeah that you can still go and watch an international rugby game between say France and England go to Twickenham they've got bars you know it's a bit like cricket the cricket and rugby are probably the only two big stadium sports that you they still actively you know have beer you know you can drink yeah uh, football matches you can't I don't think you can drink alcohol in football matches I think you know but rugby, it's, it is general sport. It's, it's something very gentle about the whole. It's a family. It's a family yeah. sport. And, and, and um, is it the same here in the states? It, it very, it, it very much is. You know, um, it's 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 a social sport, right? And you you, you almost you know talking about you going to Europe, uh, if you're going to play in France, you almost want to be in the French section because yeah. it's just fun. It's it's legitimate fun, right? So. Um, 
that humility in that respect is 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 right through it, right? And that that does blow people away because uh, Americans haven't experienced that. I mean, if you watch, you know, we're always watching these terrible YouTube videos of of coaches beating the crap out of each other at, at kids football games and whatnot. Um, it, there's just no history of it there. And in American sports, traditionally, Americans don't travel. Travel. Americans, people who live in this country, don't travel. So if if Red Bulls are playing in Atlanta. There's very rarely a huge traveling contingent, but mm. rugby, rugby fans travel. But, uh, I like the fact you mentioned, and it's, it's a very important point, because obviously American football players have the helmets, have you know, their faces are covered up, and obviously there are these heroes, the sort of Tom Brady's of the world, yeah. and, and the quarterbacks are sort of celebrated and, and what have you, but and they become these heroes, and everyone knows their names, everyone wants their jersey, but in rugby, you can identify a player because you can see their face yeah. and you see their body and you can see their expression and you know that it, that that is very much a sort of a revolutionary aspect of the sport and yeah. how you know and you talked about the sort of humility but do you think that is what the situation is now or because i, I again it seems like the, the, the when as sports grow the concept of sportsmanship oftentimes seems to sort of disintegrate, and you see it. I'm seeing it with soccer right now, and various players who are bigger than the teams, and you know they all want to have their own. They're all creating their own brand, their own doing their own thing, their own. Their, you know, managing a soccer team is like having a whole series of major brands under one house. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a, it's a real juggle. I think in the, in the years since Robbie's become professional, we haven't seen that happen. You know, and I talked to you know. You know see, We've signed some overseas players, Ben Foden being one of them, and I talked to Ben about Northampton, and they weren't very good last year, and why. And there's other teams as well we've talked to about this. Sorry. It's, it's basically, it's culture. It's that the culture was bad or wasn't great, so the team fell off. So I, I think that you can't win rugby matches with individuals. You just can't. It's not possible. So you need a, 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 a spirit, a culture that, that's positive, and that prevents naturally prevents the rise of of egomaniacs yeah. or narcissists, you know that kind of me 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 culture uh, situation because it's just it it's not possible, you know. And I can't think of you know I mean the All Blacks have done a very good job of 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 managing their brand and their sweeping the sheds mentality, but but it's true as well, you know. Um, and the good teams uh, in rugby are, are good have. A sp- uh, spirit, co- spirit corpse is it? I guess yeah. you know. You talk to Saracens, so, yeah. and they're all the same. They're all, uh, there isn't a member. That, uh, you trying to say that basically there isn't a member on that team who thinks that they are, uh, you no. know, above any other phenomenon. They all realise that everyone's the same. Everyone's, everyone's the same. I mean, and I would say, you know, uh, I can't think of a single rugby player on the planet that that is bigger than the team. I, I legitimately can't think of one. Um, uh, you know, um, Monster, my my club. Uh, you know, it was their team spirit that made them successful in the early two thousands, and it's what that's what they work on the most. You know, um, Saracens talk about it all the time. You you, you name a club. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the clubs that do that try to buy the leagues, like the French teams. I mean, they're now they've realised that it wasn't going to work, and they're now working on doing the exact opposite, working with the community and building a sense of identity. Um, where, where does rugby come from? Do you know that where the history of rugby? Um, I believe it's a kid called Webb Ellis picked the ball up, uh, uh, what would have been a football match, and ran with it. Right? That's the mythology. Whether it's there's true, a tro- there's a tro- the Webb Ellis trophy. Isn't yeah, it? there's a Webb Ellis trophy, the World Cup trophy. I mean, that's the mythology. It's we'll, we'll say that's the truth. I, I, I don't know. Um, 
you know, from the town of Ruby in, in England, which is in the Midlands. School. Heard me. The school. It's the school as well, right? So, I mean, there's always been these different types of factions. Private school. It's a private school Heard game, me. isn't it? It is, but you think about faction fights and mm. and. You know, even when I was younger, or maybe my dad would mostly tell me about, you know, this village would fight that village. Um, you know, the keg rolling, you know, in, in the north of England, right? It's village against village. Mm. And sometimes there's a, a sheep's bladder involved, or a keg of beer, or, or a lamb. And they just Run with it, beat yeah. the crap out of each other, and that's their event. Mm. I mean, that's the, it was the replacement for war, right? Gets so you out of the hut, I suppose. Gets you out of the hut and keeps you out of trouble, kind of. So I think it, sport evolved from those kind of. You know, from war, from fights, from war, from battles. So, you know, just from, like controlled fighting. It is, yeah. I mean, because rugby is not rugby is a is a. I'm, I'm a total kind of wimp when it comes to things like that. But, but I, rugby was is brutal. I mean, it, it is a brutal game. You know, it's a it's a full contact. But what it's it's a. It, it it hurts. I mean, it can't for me. It, it, <laughs> well, you're you know, getting think about it. Okay, it hurt. I don't know. I mean, I, but but a, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I just and I I played bad, rugby badly for a long time, and I played a bit of soccer and a bit of Gaelic sports, and I get more hurt in soccer than I would right, in rugby, right. and you know, so right. I did a bit of boxing. Um, I wasn't didn't get as hurt in boxing as I did in some sports, right, you know, so. Right. It's so if, playing, if it's played properly, you, you know, I was just probably playing it really not. Oh, well, it depends. Like, so there was like, I think every single season I broke a bone, but same time I sort of loved it. And I didn't realize I'd loved it. I actually grew up being terrified of it because I wasn't very good at sport. Yeah. And I grew really tall really early. And I think that, you know, I've been six foot four since I was 14. And so there was this, this concept where I, you know, I was like a big shire horse. Six, three and a half, by the way. Six, yeah. three and a half, sorry, yes. I, I always add that <laughs> half an inch on it, which really annoys just, him. Um, it doesn't annoy me. I just want to hold you up on it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel hold up. There you go. So anyway, six, three and a half at age 14, all arms and legs. And as I mentioned, f- have problems catching the ball. But then all of a sudden find myself and grew into this sport of rugby. And, uh, you know, I you know, became coordinated figured things out and I look back on it with a, with a great nostalgia now and there was a sort of a romance to it too I mean there, there was a as, a as a sport the whole process of just putting on your cleats and the sound of the cleats on the ground and the, you know the, the going to the, the stadium the you know the, 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 my friends all around us you know in the scrum in the lineup you know and the, the sound of everyone's hearts beating and the push and the pull and yeah. you know, all aspects of the sport were a lot of fun for me and, and I really began to love it and of course winning is a great feeling yeah you know but it was more the team the whole team together the hot baths afterwards the you know the your, your mother making you something rather special after you you know work so hard you know, these are all great things that bring families together and why sports obviously are so popular and and, and so impo- important for families yeah I mean it's this it's the sense of community around 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 it right and which I'm sure is in every team sport and um you know, I, I touched on earlier that you know we, we I talked briefly to some military people about what rugby does for vets because you know people that retire out of the military, be they being in active combat or not, suddenly have no um, no unit, no band of brothers to rely on, and no system. Empty, yeah. They're empty and they're and they're lost and they're listless. And, and you give them. I've seen I've seen it with my own eyes it, 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 several times. You you put them into an environment like a rugby team where there is a a sense of purpose and there is a camaraderie and a, and a team, and it, it it helps them tremendously. So it, it's yeah, I think it's 
it's fantastic. And I, I mean, as is all team sports, you know, all sports in general. I loved it. We got so excited talking about sports straight off the bat that I absolutely forgot to talk about the fact that we are, have, are of course, having a cocktail. I know This is that. shaken and stirred. Well, you can always stop me, Tom. No, I mean, don't forget, as my co-host, it, was way, it was, is your were, official duty yeah. to remember that we are drinking a cocktail. He's making this stuff. And of I've course, mine, by the way. I yeah. know, <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying. I look down, I'm thinking, okay, Tom has finished his cocktail. You've almost finished yours. Um, by the way, we're talking about rugby. And what are we drinking, Tom? Aperol Spritz. Very manly, masculine drink. Aperol spritz. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> the most manly drink we could possibly think of to talk about rugby over. Yeah, a summer favourite, I'd say. Well, you know, I want, I want two things about that. So this past week was World Mental Health Day. Mental health is something that I do a lot of work on. And we had one of our players issued a fantastic statement about you can be a tough guy on the field, but you're only as tough as you are inside. Yeah. And, you know, so... The rugby players aren't as tough as people think, no. you know, and we all they all have their burdens. And then also this week we had uh, World Coming Out Day, right. um, and we have you know some some of the some of our uh, some of our gay players made some great statements right. about that. So rugby is very very inclusive. The great, but the funny thing about rugby these days is that the the, the rugby players and that's from the seventies. I remember those rugby players. You know, they'd just drink 18 pints of bitter in it, and they were just out of shape, and they'd get big beer bellies. I mean, now these rugby players are built like brick shit houses. There isn't an yeah. ounce of fat on them. Yeah. There isn't, they're just muscle. They are, it, it is incredibly... Um, it, the, the, you have to be incredibly strong and incredibly t- big and in, yeah. in, in an incredible shape to play rugby at, at, at any kind of half-decent level, wouldn't you? We, I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, they, they you can play it at school. Schoolboys can still do it, but, yeah. but professionally now, if you look at rugby players, I mean, it's, even wearing the sort of, it's, it's there is something slightly sort of something like this. Everything's sort of slightly tight now. Yeah, you know, all the clothing's extreme. It used to be loose beer bellies and all the rest. Yeah. Of it. It's all become quite tight, and it's all become slightly. Do you prefer sort of, one or the other, Tom? Which one? Do you prefer the beer belly or do you prefer the tight shirt? Give me a loose, nice loose rugby shirt. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it matters. But what I'm saying is the, the levels of um, fitness now required in rugby are, uh, uh, you know, I think that's why it's seen as this kind of big macho. Because also rugby players are generally, you know, in the scrum. I mean, apart from the front row, the rest of rugby, you have to be quite big because you've got to get the weight in the in the scrum to... You you, you do. I mean, it's, it's just that... It's... It, the size, the overall size of rugby players is actually decreasing in the last couple of years because it's it's, it's become very fast. And if you're big, you know, if you're carrying okay. two, 270 pounds, you're, you know, or 18 or 19 stone, you, you can't get around the field. And if you can't get around the field, no one's going to recruit you. The, the day of give it to the big guy, um, and big guy against big guy seems to be receding. Thank God, because right. um, the players were putting on too much weight and working too hard and having to consume thousands and thousands of extra calories a day which was leading to injuries and now you see they're sizing down oh yeah um, okay. that's interesting so know. what's the perfect size of a rugby player which is you know, as you know it's all it's all positions it's position specific position yeah. Yeah. so if you're if your example I was second row in the scrum what, how big are those guys these days uh, you've got guys that are you know you look for someone at 6'7 6'6 6'7 6'6 but if you've got if you've got big props that are six two to six four, who, six can, who can lift? Then you can get away with a six four second row or even a six two second row. So it's still quite big, though. And isn't it's, it? and I mean, it's, it's still quite big. I mean, we're talking about you know, um, yeah. There's not many you know five seven five eights yeah. anymore. You know, uh, they're 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 there. Um, we, we have a few on our team. Scrum you know, half, scrum half still can still be. 
Frank, Barnside Frankers and all those guys are quite, yeah. You know, you have your you have your jackals that have just got huge arms that can mm. steal the ball, and then you've got your your guys with the good lungs that can get around the field and tackle, you know, thirty times a game. So let's talk about some of the things that terrify us about this sport, right? Because I remember when I was playing as a kid, there was one team we went up against at the school called Sherburn, and they were all huge players. And the, the thing that we heard that they that they had basically started this rumor, which was that they all had scrum pox. What? Now, are you familiar with scrum pox? <laughs> no, never fucking heard of it, man. <laughs> no idea what you're talking it's about. It's like a public school. So scrum pox <laughs> is some disgusting <laughs> disease that exists um, in rugby teams where all the boys have their hands on each other's balls. Because let's face it, <laughs> you have to understand in rugby, you put your hand between the guy's legs and you hold on to the top of his pants. So yeah. if you don't actually know about rugby, that's one of the things that you do. You, as second row, you reach in between the guy's legs and you grab hold of the top of his pants. And th- there was a concept where these boys as a result of this rubbing their heads between each other's butts and grabbing the person's pants in between his legs, we're capturing this thing called scrum pox, which created this sort of acne all over your face type of affair. So this is not a real thing. Because I've grown up my entire life, I've terrified my children with scrum pox, told them stories about it. It has never left my mind. I, I've never heard of it. I, I, jeez, I don't know. I mean... Should you not be using the thought of scrum pox to actually intimidate your players now? Because now Rugby United New York could go up against Boston and just tell them you've got scrum pox, and all of a sudden you'll see them shoot, you know, running in the opposite direction as fast as possible. No, I don't think we need scrum pox to intimidate Boston. We're going to smash Boston anyway, you know, so... Um, and every other team that comes into our house. So, nah, nah, we don't need scrum pox. What does it take? What does it take? What, what you know... Uh, there are there's so many kind of fun funny stories that are connected to sports and you know I, I look back at my own childhood and that's what we do in life you, you I think sports are so connected to your, your your growing up and you know as an adult and I've got now my son is playing sports and he really wants to play rugby actually he's asked me many yeah. times what, what age is he he's 12 years old he's, he's the right age 12 years old five foot six where's he going to school um, he goes to school upstate New York in Woodstock and um, you know, he, he loves that. He's heard all my stories, the things that I used to do yeah. and the things that we, you know, the stories that we would tell um, and even the stories of things like scrum pox and, uh, you know, and perhaps it's that nostalgia. But, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen enough of things like rugby up in, in, in upstate New York and in places like that. Obviously, it's here in the cities. Are, are we going to be able to bring well, there's a couple sports up to sort of all, all outside of the city metropolis areas? You are. So up there, like, there's a team in Saratoga that's pretty good. There's a couple of high school teams in Albany and, and there's one in Troy. There's a few clubs up in the area as well. Um, What's the best way for, for someone to start a team? For someone to start a team is for, say, you to go to your son's high school and say, I want to start a rugby team. And they'll say, oh my God, that's crazy. That's dangerous. And um, you'll call me and I'll, I'll, I'll send coaches up. Um, I'll send up equipment, balls, and, and um, a nutritional plan, an SNC coach, and we'll we'll talk to all the parents. And, and and if they can be convinced that it's a safe sport, then we'll start a program. And if they can't be, we will respect that and, and move on. And what does one? What, how do you talk to parents to to convince them that it's a safe sport? It's just what we said earlier. You just say, "Listen, we're not. We're we're all about teaching." kids how to play respectfully um, not weaponize your bodies to understand the social uh, benefits of a game a team sport um, can I ask you who, who is behind so in order for you to send coaches up to a high school and 
you know, send the equipment up and all that. Who, can I ask who's, fun, who's behind all the, the, the funding drive behind this? Well, so we, I mean, I'm funding a lot of it out of pocket. I have a, a few other investors, but, you, you know, I can tell you this week, I, because no deal has been signed, I won't mention which specific institutions, but we talked to uh, several healthcare networks, um, healthcare providers, and we've asked... Uh, Ironic that it's healthcare providers that would pay for well, this. No, but it's great for mental health and things. I mean, it, it makes it's it's fantastic for mental health. So we've said it's to... It's private, but it says most of the money is being privately raised. Is that... Privately raised, but we anticipate, you know, our community outreach program, we're, we're on target to raise about $250,000, maybe a bit more. I mean, Dow Jones has come in with some money, kind of unexpectedly. So we might get, you know, all that money goes straight into development, all of it. Um on the, the Jersey, we're, we're on target to get about $1.2 million. Wow. That goes into development as well. And the merchandise, we can't make enough. We right. just can't make enough. Right. It's just, it's flying out. And um, So yeah. who's buying the, the jerseys? Is it just the, the fans who are coming to the games? or No, it's, a lot of it's going to the UK and Ireland right now and France. Uh, and it's... Listen, it's not. I'm not they not, want a rugby united New York shirt. They want a New York shirt that happens to be a rugby shirt. To be honest with you, I, I would say you know. And why do you think that is? There's a novelty factor right now. Um, Unusual. You, you also look at Yankee hat sales. I mean, Yankees. I, I, I did see some numbers and the number of units they sell in China, for example, because people don't know don't know what baseball is, know what New York Yankees is. Mm. You know, you look at what Juventus have done with their brand and relaunched it and reinvented it, and now they're. They're doing really well on their apparel, their athleisure sales. Um, and we have in New York something that the rest of the world is incredibly envious of. We have New York. You know, we, ha- we have that brand, that amazing brand, you know, so. But that's a great thing to be able to, you know, why not sell, you know, why not? Well, it's, in- a, it's, it's a huge part of it. I, I do believe we will, we will, we could be profitable year one. Mm. And we're damn close to it already, you know, um, and profitable. Actually, I should say, there's no taking money out. This is not a get rich, it goes straight back in. So, um, you know, I've set aside um, uh, $3 million of my own money to put into it year one and $3 million. Three, a year. three million in year one? Yeah. Um, and $3 million a year, are, are, that's because that's our run, right? So, you want to make sure you have enough bank to cover the whole run. And God yeah. forbid something really bad happens. So, so. You know, there's no naivety about this. This is not a get rich quick scheme. This is a, a builder. It's build a passion. It. This is your passion. It's a passion, but you're building a brand. You're con- right. on every platform. You're building a brand. You're, you're building a culture and a brand and a, and, a, and a name that should go beyond the sport. You and know? it already is because it's already, as you say, you've already the name is already getting back over back over the pond. Yeah. So we, we as, as I said, like it's oh. you know um, you know we're talking to factories in Portugal, um, etc. About upping 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 production Actually. rates and stuff like that. So. And what pieces actually sell the best and the fastest? Oh, the, the fastest is the baseball hats because it's easy. It's a, even it's, at rugby. Even at rugby. Baseball hats. Now I'm sure that as, as this it's is ironic, it, isn't it? A baseball hat would be the best selling thing at a rugby match. I, I didn't actually. Yeah, I, yeah, that never really occurred to me that it would be. Should we cha- should we call them something You've else? You've got to call them a rugby hat. We've we got to have some. We don't wear hats in rugby, but it's it is somewhat ridiculous. Well, hang yeah. on, hang on, hang on. You do wear hats, and I doubt they'll become fashionable. Those things that the props wear. Oh, scrum caps. Padded scrum, scrum caps. Yeah. <laughs> do you sell those? Do people still wear them? Branded scrum caps. Some cap. people do wear them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a preferential thing. Do you thing. think it'll ever become a fashion accessory? A branded, I don't, I, a branded I, scrum if, cap. If, if Peter Cech <laughs> couldn't get it done at Chelsea, then um, I don't see it happening. And what about the tape around the ears? What, what about it? You want I'm to, saying, do, you, do people still wear it? Do people still yeah, wear it? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. So can we not brand that? We can brand everything. 
Can, is, is duct tape not? Could they not become a sponsor? We cannot well, duct we, tape someone's head. Well, we've, we've actually talked to 3M about. Uh, so you know, part of any startup business is you want to you want to keep your costs down, and so the value in kind section of 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 this is everything. You know, um, from from the water bottles you drink out out of to to the backpacks to where all the players eat. Everything is 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 value in kind. So we, yeah, we have talked to Jim about the tape actually. So um, and the, the the rugby shirts themselves, um, the rugby United New York shirts, can they be customized with the, someone's name personalized on the back? Yeah, of course they can. Yeah. So I'm going to be getting one then with my son's name. I need one with Barker on the back. Do you yeah. put both names or just the one? Just the one. I think that's what I need. What position do you want to put on that? Second row. We'll take care of that for you. I'm feeling both shaken and stirred. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very, very much. We have the founder and owner of Rugby United New York, James Kennedy. If you're out there and you're interested in rugby, go and check out a game. It's super exciting. A lot of fun. As we hear, the whole family goes and the most popular sport in colleges. This sport is taking over. It's very exciting to hear that. Congratulations. Thank you, Nigel. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Tom. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks. Cheers.